It's Friday, September the 9th, 2016. It's Meet the Movie Press. Jeff is in Toronto. He's supposed to be there. He didn't get drunk and get on the wrong bus. What are we going to talk about this week? We're going to talk about the Toronto Film Festival. We're going to talk about the week's big releases. We're going to talk DC, how could we not? And we're going to talk Halloween Horror Nights at Universal. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now... Here's Popcorn Talks. Meet the movie press. Hello, welcome. It's another show. Um, another busy week this week. Um, Jeff is in Toronto. Uh, he mentioned that he was going to be there this week. Uh, he's really happy to be back on the festival circuit, which is a great thing. So, as a result, I am going to be sitting in the Jeff seat. Um, it still still smells of him a little bit, actually, which is quite, quite weird, but also quite, uh, quite comforting. Uh, and with me this week is a, a special co-host... Um, Ethan Anderton from Slash Film. Hey, how's it going? Welcome. Thanks. Thank Good to be here. Thank you for coming and filling in. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I love watching this online, and it's just it's it's strange to actually be here. Oh, you do actually watch the show? I, oh yeah, of course. This is kind of cool. There you go. That's very good. Uh, so, for those people who perhaps don't know who you are, um, who are you? Who do you write for? And why are you here? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I'm Ethan Anderton. I write over at SlashFilm.com, which is a film blog. In case you couldn't tell by the name. And I'm the weekend editor, and I also do some weekly stuff as well. Uh, and I'm here because, as we talked about, Jeff is at Toronto. And I decided to uh, see if I could come here on the show, hang out for a bit, because I'm in Los Angeles for a short time. Because you don't live here. I don't live here. I live in the Midwest, about an hour outside of Chicago. So it's it's happenstance that I happen to be here for a show. And it also happenstances that, if that is actually even a word, that you've actually done some supremely cool shit this week. That's true, I have. Like I made sure to like, fill my week out with a lot of fun things. I, I saw... John Williams at the Hollywood Bowl on Sunday. Pretty which, cool. Yeah, I mean, he does it every summer, but since I don't live here, this is like probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me, unless I plan to come here again during a summer. Uh, I went to a special Academy screening at Academy headquarters for Heat, because they have uh, a new remastered uh, printed, or actually it's a, a 4K remaster of the movie, nice. because they're going to come out with, uh, they're supposed to come out with a 4K Blu-ray sometime later this year or sometime next year. And it looks gorgeous. There's a panel afterwards with Pacino, De Niro, Michael Mann, moderated by Christopher Nolan. That was an amazing experience as well. And now I'm here. So, I mean, that's, that's a highlight as well. So where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, Twitter, I'm at Ethan underscore Anderton. Are you on Instagram? I am on Instagram, um, but I, I have to explain a little bit about myself in order to, to give that out. Because Ethan Anderton actually isn't my real name. It is not. It is not. My real name is Bradford Omen, and that's my Instagram handle. Can we call you the Omen? You, you can. Okay, cool. Would you Would you mind? <laughs> not at all. Obviously I can, but it's if you, whether you're offended or not. Feel free. Okay, Ethan, uh, thank you very much indeed. So, um, I'm going to talk about heat with you later on, because I have questions about 4K. Fair so enough. we can talk about that later on. Um, let's start off, we'll get to the film news in a bit, but we've got a couple of movies that are coming out this week. Um, Sully is a film that, that I saw on Tuesday. Um, and if you're interested, you can read my review um, at IGN.com. I, I had the pleasure of, of, uh, of critiquing it for, for those guys. Um, possibly one of the best films I've seen this year. It got a 9 out of 10 from me. Um, it's Clint Eastwood directing, as we know. Tom Hanks plays Sully, um, the, 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 the pilot who obviously landed the plane on the Hudson um, in January 2009. Um, you haven't seen the film, but... A lot of people are saying it's a return to form for, for Clint Eastwood and a return to form for Tom Hanks because they've both done some kind of questionable movies or certainly disappointing movies over the last couple Definitely. of years. Do you, I mean, are you excited about seeing them together and working in this way and sort of both bringing their A game? 
I don't know if I would say I'm I'm excited. I'm definitely interested. Uh, you know, I'm I'm always up for seeing a new Tom Hanks performance. Clint Eastwood has been hit or miss for me in in recent years. I wasn't a big fan of American Sniper, um, but I I think I'm most curious to see how the story plays out when the event itself that everyone has talked about is such you know a, a finite amount of time. Obviously, there's a lot behind the scenes that happens that we don't know about, but it feels like you know flight all over again just a little but just like a real life story so i'm interested to see if there's actually a compelling story behind it or if if you know it's just the kind of the middling drama that it feels like it might be i'm surprised that you liked it so much i'm i'm surprised as i liked it so much especially as i went to see it at the imax at um uh, universal city walk here in, how was that because it feels like the only part of the movie that would be good for imax is the plane sequence does it work in the rest of the movie well do you know what i'm actually going to go and see it again in imax because i was quite late for the screening so i was in like the road four from the front oh yeah that's so to me tom hanks is fucking huge (laughs) he's the size of a building um and it's there's a lot as you say that that really does work and and deserves to be shot in armax and really works with the format really really well but it is quite weird then to watch the rest of the film in IMAX, yeah. where it is people in meetings or people in you know sort of everyday settings or standing by a window, so so there are elements of the of the of the, the visual stuff that really do work with IMAX, and it was actually the right format to shoot the film in. But obviously, then if you're not in the right position within IMAX, the rest of it is kind of more difficult to yeah to, to kind of take in and absorb. I mean, the aerial stuff uh, and all that kind of thing, and the technical side of the filmmaking is exemplary. Right. It is absolutely brilliant. Um, I mean, all the performances are amazing. And if you are going to see it, I would definitely say go and see it, if you can, in IMAX. Fair enough. Um, get there early. Don't sit down the front. Um, <laughs> but it, it, because it, it does lend itself really, really well to that. And there are many there are many movies. I saw um, Star Trek Beyond uh, earlier this year. Okay. And I saw that twice in IMAX. And even though it looks good on IMAX, it didn't feel like it was necessary. Right. Um, but this definitely did. Um, but for me, it's not surprisingly. I thought it was going to be the visuals that won it over for yeah. me, but it wasn't. It was. It, it's perhaps the the classiest, the leanest, and the simplest direction that Clint Eastwood has done for a long time. But I don't mean simple as in he hasn't put effort in. I mean it's simple as in he hasn't. You know, when sometimes directors overdress stuff to try and make it more dramatic. Absolutely. Or, yeah. He doesn't do that. And it's something that could have very easily have lent itself to that. Okay. It feels very restrained and better for that, which I was quite surprised about. Um, looking at predictions this weekend in the box office of 20 to 25 million. Yeah. Um, I think that's quite conservative. I think it's going to do very well. But there doesn't appear to be that much buzz about the film. What are you getting from from audiences? Part of me feels like that maybe there's not a lot of buzz because I think this is going to be a movie that hits with a lot of older audiences. And a lot of times you don't necessarily hear about that buzz because those people aren't really online commenting on articles, mm. like showing their excitement on Twitter and that kind of thing. And if, if anything, I, I, I think that if those people turn out for the movie, we're, they're going to get maybe larger box office numbers. Because a, a lot of times, you know, you have no idea what, you know, that group is going to be interested in. And with Tom Hanks in that role, Clint Eastwood directing, and a story about, you know, this this hero from real life, I feel like that's going to get a lot of, you know, older people in the seats. Now, when someone says that they're, they, they love Tom Hanks and their favorite Tom Hanks movie is Forrest Gump, what do you think? I mean, that's definitely, like, uh, I, I feel like a large consensus, especially in the United States. You know, yeah. that's that's a, a homegrown American movie that's usually a general audience perception. Uh, I know that among 
uh, people who are in the industry or film critics and that kind of thing, they've come to not like Forrest Gump as much, don't think it deserved to win Best Picture over Pulp Fiction, that kind of thing. But I think you can't deny that that's, you know, just a, a true slice of Americana, and that's a great performance for Tom Hanks. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great movie. Not sure if it should have won Best Picture, but that's I, – I, I don't understand the hate for it that's come in the years since. Yeah. So what do you think – I mean, for me, I really had a problem with, with Clint Eastwood's Jersey Boys. That's one I haven't seen yet, but I have not heard a good thing from anybody. <laughs> I was so massively disappointed with that movie yeah. because I was disappointed with Clint Eastwood because he managed to make a stage show that is actually really good and the story is really interesting. Deathly fucking dull. <laughs> um, which was just quite amazing. Um, especially considering his talent. Um, and I just... Still, I kind of... It kind of bugs me when a director who is so capable and can so effortlessly create a great movie takes something that appears to be quite simple and then just kind of takes all the life out of something. Yeah. He's done the opposite with this, so it's definitely it's worth checking out. Uh, when the Bow Breaks is probably the other the other big release of the week. Um, uh, it's it's kind of a I haven't seen it. I'm actually it's kind of weird. I'm kind of obsessed with this kind of husband and wife. Someone comes in and tries to steal the husband, or husbands fuck somebody, and then yeah. that person gets oh now you're mine kind of thing. I like those movies. I know they're absolute trash, <laughs> but I think this. I'm actually quite... I don't know whether I would spend $15 going to see it in the theatre. I don't think you need to see it in the theatre. But I am going to go and see it. (laughs) Is that wrong? I mean, do you... I mean, if you're curious, like, you know, just do you, like, see the movies that you want to see? That That's what everyone does. So yeah. I'm, if there's one thing that I'm interested in about the movie, it's that um, the, the star in it, or the, the young woman who does who is doing mm. the seducing, what's, what's her name? She's newer. She I, is, yeah, yeah. This um, is but, her first major movie. She's done some TV stuff before. Well, okay, yeah. And she was, she's also in Paper Town. She plays the girlfriend of yep. one of the, the main character's friends. Yep. And, so, and she's, like, a very fun, light character in that movie. And so to see her do this kind of turn, I was, I, it was actually, so I was like, is that who I think it is? And I looked, and sure, sure enough, it was so that's a surprising thing yeah um i don't know if i'll go out of my way to see it but the, there definitely seems to be the sort of resurgence in these kind of like steamy you know sort of thrillers well they, i don't think they go it's one of the genres i think that uh, you know there are a handful of genres that don't really go out of fashion because there'll always be someone who wants to go and see this yeah and it, i think because it's so easy to consume you really don't you can switch your brain off yeah and i think because we've got so many movies like superhero movies now where you actually do have to cerebrally engage because they're not just about someone running around in tights saving people from buildings there's a bit more of intelligence to them yeah and i think when you get something like this and it's it involves hot women in underwear and hot guys (laughs) with their shirts off it's very easy to enjoy. They're looking at um, 10 to 12 million in the box yeah. office this weekend. I think that's totally achievable. I think because there's a lot of stuff that's holding over um, that I think people are kind of done with. It's just kind of picking up the ends right yeah, now. absolutely. And we're starting to see this uh, this sort of, you know, the, the, the end of the summer and the start of moving into awards season. This is a nice little palate cleanser. It's a sexy sorbet <laughs> of a movie. As it will. So we'll see how those goes. And obviously Don't Breathe, which you have seen, yeah. um, is is still going yeah, strong. Yeah, going, going strong and surprisingly. It's, you know, a, the trailer itself sold a really exciting, suspenseful thriller. And, mm. you know, yeah, even being in a movie theater, you can feel people, like, engaging with it, you know, really, you know, just falling in love, like, with that concept. You know, like, the idea of being stuck in the dark with, a you know, a blind guy who 
can essentially sense better than you and is trying to get you and track you down and kill you. They were, the trailer sold a great movie, and the movie does live up to the hype. Like, I, it's it's super suspenseful. There's a couple twists and turns that you don't expect, and it's yeah. it's relentless in its brutality, and just the chase keeps going. And so it's I can understand why it's doing so well continually. I think word of mouth on that film is particularly strong as Definitely. well. Definitely, I think, and I had this conversation with Sony when it when it was actually released. Um, it was pitched initially, sold to audiences as a horror film. I wouldn't necessarily. I'd say it's more psychological thriller with elements of horror. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think now that's kind of getting out. I think some people who are going like, oh, I don't like horror films are going, oh, okay, <laughs> I do like psychological thrillers. Yeah. So maybe I'll go along. But I, I think that's going to run very strongly in theatres for another couple of weeks. I think that's going to be quite good. So do you think Sully's going to be kicking off the, the awards season for us? There is awards talk around that. It, is it feels like it. it. I mean, it's. I think it's too early. I always feel like if a movie tries to start awards season early in September, they're kind of, you know... Maybe jumping the gun a little bit, but when you have a director like Clint Eastwood and a star like Tom Hanks, it's it's hard to ignore it. And you you probably assume that Tom Hanks will get a nomination. It's tough to say since we haven't seen so much that'll be coming out later this year. But it's it's at least the first movie that could get some awards attention later in the year. When people say that, I kind of a bit like oh, when you know in sort of first week of January when someone goes, "It's the best film of the year," yeah, <laughs> and it's like R- really. Are you seeing one movie this year? <laughs> it's like fucking January the third, exactly. But yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm. I think it could as long as I, I say this in my IGN review, which I will post uh, in the after show links on YouTube um, later on. I say uh, as long as people don't forget about it and it doesn't get overshadowed, right? That's that's the toughest thing. I think you know it'll do really well. Although I can't decide, and again I say this in the review, whether releasing it on the anniversary of September the 11th that weekend, I don't know whether that was intentional. Or whether it just happens to be, I can't decide. Yeah, that's a good question. Whether, there, there, there is a line in the movie where um, they, they, they someone says, I can't remember which character it is, basically said it, it's not just good news for the fact that people didn't die, but it's the fact that it's good news for New York in something involving a plane right. that didn't involve hundreds of people dying. Yeah. Um, and I thought, yeah, so it kind of works. Yeah. I'm like... I, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh, so yeah, that would have been an interesting marketing meeting. Anyway, definitely. <laughs> we are going to be taking some calls uh, later on in the show, but um, we're just going to touch off with some um, uh, some film news now. Looking at the chat, I'm not going to be looking at it a lot in the show today because obviously I'm, I'm in the main host chair. But we're already getting a lot of people who are asking about the trailer for Ben Affleck's new movie, which you were very impressed with yeah, this week. I, yeah, this I I have a soft spot for uh movies that take place in the roaring 20s, especially when it involves, you know, sort of the the crime thriller kind of yeah. style stories. And in recent years, I feel like I've been disappointed with that genre. Uh, I was looking forward to Gangster Squad and yeah. it, it turned into kind of like a Dick Tracy sort of movie. And I love mm. Dick Tracy, but what they were trying to do with that movie just didn't work for me. You know, it's it feels like this old school 40s, 50s kind of movie that throws back to the gangster era, but it just it felt too hammy for me. But this looks like right in my wheelhouse. It's got, you know, Ben Affleck's grittier style and it, it just it looks like it's going to be outstanding. I mean, it's it's adapted. Ben actually adapted it from a. It's a Dennis Dennis Lane. Dennis Lane, yeah, yeah. Um, I, he's got previous, you know, good record with that. Because obviously, um, uh, Gone mm. Baby Gone was one of his novels, yeah. and previous books, obviously, that have been adapted for big screen. You know, Mystic River is another one, which you know turned out to be a great movie. Yeah, I think he's just a guy that's written a lot of books that he writes in a style that naturally lends itself to a movie. Where once you've got someone skilled adapting it. It just kind of works. Definitely. What about the cast? What do you think about the cast? I mean, it's it's that's an that's an all star cast that's in mm. there. I mean, you got Ben Affleck, you got Zoe Saldana, 
um, Sienna Miller. You know, there's just it's it's a lineup that does that doesn't end. I, I actually when the trailer came out yesterday later in the evening, I wrote it up and like just looking at the cast, you're like, oh my gosh, this is like it's totally impressive. But it's not it's not necessarily the cast that you would expect. No, not at all. It's it's eclectic isn't really quite the right word because they're all people who are established or have a presence, right? But it hasn't gone like oh, let's just go for the standard big A list. Let's put it yeah. together like an Ocean's Eleven, exactly. Um, no, I'm I'm really intrigued. I, I think when's that actually due for release? So it's supposed it doesn't have an exact December release. It's supposed to get an awards qualifying release in December, right? And then it comes out in early January. I think the 13th is what it is. Okay, so could we look at a staggered release for that? Yeah, I'm pretty because it's the there was talk earlier this year that they wanted to go for the awards qualifying, and I think they're, they're basically it seems like they're trying to do the same thing that American Sniper did is yeah. get a little bit of buzz early and then send it out wide in January so that everyone will see it when there aren't many other movies to see. I think so. I think that's exactly the right way to do it it's a film that everybody's very very excited if you haven't seen the trailer do make sure to 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 catch it it was released yesterday um a trailer that was released only very recently and this is we'll move to talking about toronto now um free fire uh ben wheatley's new movie yeah now you've watched that what did you think about it we obviously a lot of people were tweeting it including um jeff who did not like it um, people coming out of it going, actually really enjoyed it. Jeff did think about walking out of it last night. Thought about walking out of it, really? Yeah. And, you know, he, he walked out of Swiss Army, man. Yeah, I remember that. And I was, I, after I saw it, I was like, that was a mistake. That yeah. was a huge mistake. <laughs> so he stayed with this. And then he was kind of pissed at himself because he did stay because he did not enjoy it. Yeah, uh, Angie, who is our managing editor at Slash Film, yeah. she shot it. And uh, her tweets indicated that she loved it. So yeah. I'm, I'm hopeful. How? What sort of relationship do you have with Ben Wheatley's movies? I it's it's hit or miss. Uh, you know, I, I I like them. Some, some of them, some other ones, I'm just like eh, that. That one it wasn't exactly for me. He's he's definitely uh, I think an acquired taste. Yeah. He's not exactly the most uh, friendly to general audiences. Uh, but if you give him a chance, there's there's definitely something I think that you'll find that you like. I think I've seen one movie of his, and I've I've, I've watched all of them that I actually came away going, like, I actually genuinely enjoyed that movie, and yeah. that was Sightseers. Sightseers is, is my favourite, actually. Um, it's perhaps the most accessible of his films. Definitely. But that's the one I genuinely came away <laughs> going, I enjoyed that movie, um, I, I felt like I had fun with that movie, and it just felt... A lot of his other movies, I where people have raved about them, I just don't... I, they just don't sit with me. There's one... What was the one I was talking about earlier? Kill... Kill List. Kill List. Yeah. Actually made me so angry i thought my piss was gonna curdle it, it just you know sometimes you see a film that just angers you a bit yeah. nerve was a film this year that i saw that made me want to punch someone it was it just it just doesn't sit it was like nails down a chalkboard yeah. for me but then other films of his i've watched for the first time and hated and then gone back and rewatched it and gone but i get it now now I understand it. Yeah. So it, I, I'm curious to see this. I just don't know. I think that's what makes him an interesting, interesting filmmaker too. Like yeah. so, some of the some of the best movies, like you might not like when you first see them, and you go back and watch it, and it just takes a little time to sink in. Yeah. I mean, Blade Runner is one of those movies for me. I often talk about it on the show, uh, which the first time I saw it, I did not like Blade Runner. Interesting. I really did not enjoy it at all. And I've gone back and I've watched it again and I've watched it again. And it's almost like Munchausen s- syndrome. I've yeah. kind of worn myself down. But now, I, I, you know, Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies. Um, I appreciate everything about it. But, you know, with Ben's movies, I, I can appreciate them as films and pieces of cinema. Right. But I don't necessarily enjoy them. Yeah. So I get what he's doing. Definitely, it's. I think part of it is that his his stories don't exactly always lend themselves to you know cinematic storytelling. Mm. 
it's a, a lot of it. I think is is the kind of story that you would maybe read and you would be more compelled by that way. And seeing it trans, uh, you know, go in in film form is it's doesn't quite match up with what you hope for i think from a movie sometimes yeah well we're getting some some chat in the chat room and movie junkies said that high rise is one of the worst movies they've seen this year um dino says sightsee is the one movie that they didn't write true um and Zeno says that they should put my my quote on the poster that it made me so angry my piss curdle um <laughs> but ben always attracts brilliant casts yes um even if they're sort of very they're quite unknown people i like steve oran yeah you know it was a guy who, who would keep popping up in his movies um absolutely superb um and now he's sort of moving he's getting more and more a-list people and mm-hmm. killian murphy and you know really interesting known actors why do you think if his films are so divisive and don't necessarily make a huge amount of money people are queuing up to work with him i think as an actor you know you you want to try things that are different you, you don't you don't necessarily always want to do things that are safe or where you know what to expect and with ben wheatley He's such a unique filmmaker. He's he's got you know the, a very original style to him, and I, I can see that being very appealing for an actor. And so, especially as a director who is kind of up and coming, and his name's becoming more well known, I think being part of you know that kind of filmmaker's uh, career as he's building it and sort of figuring out what to do as he gets bigger is definitely something that's interesting for an actor. I think he, for me, he's kind of like a a love child of David Lynch, um, Edgar Wright. And Terry Gilliam. Yeah, that's a perfect description. I'm not suggesting you get the jizz of all three men. Yeah. Mix them up and see what happens. <laughs> Maybe you do. I don't know. Um, but that his filmmaking is kind of that kind of thing for me. Yeah, absolutely. It's cool. Uh, also at Toronto, um, Magnificent Seven. Um, I read Jeff's review for Mashable. If you haven't, we can put links to it in the show notes afterwards as well. Um, he loved it. Um, getting very good reviews, which I'm actually quite surprised about. Um, have you been monitoring that? And what do you think about the reaction the film has got? It seems to be very favorable across the board. Yeah, I've seen most of the reviews I've seen have been people have loved it and they've been surprised that it is so good. Uh, there's a couple that I saw that uh, they said basically they weren't really sure like why it existed. It feels like a movie that didn't need to be made. But most everything that I've seen is that Antoine Fuqua kind of takes The Magnificent Seven, updates it, makes it wholly entertaining, exciting, and exactly what you would expect from the movie that the trailer delivers. Um, why do you think, then, that Sony have held this for, is it purely to hold it for festivals, to kind of give themselves a little bit more kudos? Or should they have released it in the summer? And do you think it would have been more of a bona fide surprise summer you know, no, proper I, blockbuster. I think they were smart to hold it for September. September is a month that it's it just follows summer. It's right before award season. There's not a lot that happens this month. And if you, I think if you would have released Magnificent Seven during the summer, it would have been overshadowed, crowded. It wouldn't, you know, have had much as much attention because there are so many blockbusters over the summer now. It's it's way too crowded. And so to hold it to September to get some reviews from festivals, that kind of thing, it's only going to work in their favor. I think they knew that they had a good movie on their hands and that it was going to get decent reactions. And if anything, a movie like Magnificent Seven stands out at festivals because mm. most of the time you're dealing with indie dramas, smaller movies, and that's the kind of movie that will, you know, people will go just like maybe for a break from the, the the usual festival you know scheduling have you managed to see it yet i haven't seen it yet i haven't had the opportunity to catch a press screening yet seeing it a week on tuesday i'm not a fan of cowboy movies i do <laughs> love the cast yeah the cast is great i'm iffy on the director some of his stuff i love some of it i'm not so hot on yeah i agree so i'm genuinely intrigued to see this and i, I like that going into to movies like that uh also let's touch on arrival um got again very strong reviews yes. yesterday um great cast 
great director. Yep. Um, it, it's a, a move back towards intelligent sci-fi that we haven't seen for a little while. Right, exactly. Do you think audiences will engage with that, though? Or do you think they do just want to see kind of a less cerebral sci-fi? I hope that they want to engage with it. I've, you know, we, we definitely don't get smart sci-fi as often as we should. And it, yeah. it can be hard for people to engage with a movie that makes them think it isn't just aliens invading, explosions, you know, that kind of thing. And so I hope that treating sci-fi as, you know, exactly what it should be, where we you blend, you know, the sci- sci-fi element with grounded real-life scenarios, you know, imagining what it would be like if we're trying to engage with an extraterrestrial life form, figuring out their language, that kind of thing. I, I hope that audiences will give it a chance, because it sounds absolutely incredible. Obviously, you know, the cast of, of Jeremy Renner and Amy Adams, yeah. two people, I think, that have been involved in projects over the last couple of years that they haven't perhaps been right for them. I would agree with that. And I think it's it's giving them a chance to actually shine as as actors. I I don't like using the word artist. I think it's a little bit wanky. <laughs> um, I mean, effectively, they, they are artists. Um, but I just, I am genuinely, she's been sidelined a lot into roles which are really kind of below her. Yeah. Um, and Jeremy Renner's been kind of, you know, I use say, poor man's Matt Damon, but he kind of feels that sometimes yeah you know, definitely you know born, uh, born legacy is a good example of that and uh, even well, even a mission impossible he, yeah. you know he, he was supposed Great to take example. over the franchise and then it's like no no tom cruise is still doing fine with this. yeah and i i just i enjoy watching him yeah and i'm really looking forward to seeing him exercise those uh those dramatic chops yeah um so that those are the big films at the moment from from toronto obviously where jeff is jeff will be back uh next week uh let's talk about some other things uh, i'll go to, down my list quite quickly shailene woodley uh, said uh, in the last few hours that uh, she's not going to do the Divergent TV series. The Divergent movies have not really been the cash cow that the studio thought they were going to be. No. It was a, it was Lionsgate, I think, hoped that it was going to be the next Hunger Games for, for sure. them. And it just didn't do it. No, it didn't work out. Now, she's saying she's not going to do it because she didn't join the series to, to do a TV show. Right. Which I think is, I get what she's saying, but... Fucking Meryl Streep is doing a TV show. Yeah, TV. It, it almost sounds like she's like insulted by the idea of doing a TV show. But yeah. some of the best storytelling right now is being done on, on TV. TV. Yeah, um, and I think people are doing more interesting things with the budgets that they've got. I think it would work quite well as a TV show. So I was quite surprised she said that because she seems to be as an individual. Um, I don't always agree with her career choices, but she appears to be quite savvy. So I was quite surprised by that. I think part of it is, uh, from what I recall, when the news came out that they were going to just turn the last sequel into a TV series kind of story, that she was not aware of it when the news went out. So if anything, maybe she feels kind of slighted that she was like left out of that decision. And so that that could be part of it. That could be it. Uh, Do you think kind of the bubble has burst on this YA type of movies i i i think so and i hope so i I feel like we've seen enough sci-fi dystopian young adult stories where you know the the main character has you know betrayed their people order and they don't necessarily know it and they're trying to you know figure out what's going on it's uh you have maze runner you know and then you have like more some of the other failed ones like there was like mortal instruments there was uh, beautiful creatures creatures the fifth wave all, all this kind of stuff and there's there's some interesting differences in the stories, but at the core, it's basically the same kind of character trying to achieve the same kind of goal. So where did it all go wrong? Uh, you know, I feel like it's it's kind of the same thing when studios started grabbing up all of the comic book properties after X-Men hit big in 2000. And yeah. some of them, you know, didn't work out. Like uh, Ang Lee's Hulk wasn't a big hit, and there was uh, Daredevil and all that kind of stuff. And so 
I think once studios saw that Hunger Games was huge and, you know, Twilight, that kind of thing, they grabbed all this stuff that they figured would appeal to younger audiences, and some of it just didn't translate well at all. Has the audience just grown up? Uh, I think that's definitely part of it. Uh, it, I mean, it's for some of these books, it's, it's, it's been years since people read them when they were kids. And so they're definitely have grown up a little bit. And another part of it is you when you're a fan of books like that, when, when you see the movie, it just doesn't necessarily live up to your expectations. Mm. You know, very, very few major book series when they're adapted to films actually, I think, please their fan base. You know, there's Harry Potter is definitely one of the most successful, if not the yeah. most successful Lord of the Rings, that kind of thing. But it's uh, it's it's tough to please a fan base like that. Um Moving on from that, Lexi Alexander very quickly uh, announced going to direct a biopic about uh, Chris Benoit, the, uh, the, the, the wrestler. Uh, it's going to be called Crossface. Um, Lexi Alexander, I think, is a really good... I think, you know, wrestling fans will obviously know who Chris is. Right. They'll know his story. Um, Lexi Alexander, I think, is a really good choice for that. Um, she's done... I mean, they're not great pieces of cinema. But the way she's handled them, I think she's handled them very well. Punisher, Warzone, one of the least successful Marvel movies of the entire catalogue. Not a great movie. I stylistically like her. I liked what she did. In the UK, it was called Green Street. Here, it was called Green Street Hooligans with Elijah Wood. Um, She directed that. I do like her style. I think she could do something very interesting with that. I mean, is that a film at all that gets you even remotely excited? Any aspect of that? I mean, like, the, the story, uh, you know, of like, a wrestler like Chris Benoit, he's, like, um, it's it's tragic. You know, it's it's, it's interesting. It's, it's compelling. And so someone like Lexi Alexander taking on a movie, because lately she's been doing stuff like uh, directing episodes of Arrow and Supergirl and that kind of thing. So I think for her to take on a story like this is it's a little bit outside of her wheelhouse. And so... Seeing her take on a different kind of story, I think, would be interesting. Um, we're going to take some calls in just a second, but uh, so I'll give you the number now. It's 424-253-0504. That's 424-253-0504. Obviously, if you're listening to this after the live feed, don't call in because we won't be here. <laughs> I might be on the toilet or something, and I won't answer the phone. Um, but if you do want to uh, uh, chat, uh, feel about, feel free to talk about anything we have already discussed on the show. Or if there is a burning issue that you would like to discuss, we can talk about that. But keep your question nice and tight. Um, what would you like to talk about, Ethan? What would I like that? to talk about? Um, let's see. One thing that I think is interesting is yep. uh, this whole rumor about James Bond that yes. came up earlier this week. Mm. Um, there's a rumor going around that apparently there's an offer to James uh, or Daniel Craig, who is playing James Bond, for $150 million dollars. To play James Bond for two more movies. Um, now, there's some problems with the rumor itself because the rights to James Bond are apparently still up in the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, after Spectre, Sony no longer had the rights. There was supposed to be some kind of bidding that happened and another studio was supposed to take over. But the rumor indicates that Sony is hoping to announce that they have the rights to James Bond again, but they're waiting to make sure they have Daniel Craig on board to do two more movies. Yeah. Um, I'm not necessarily sure if that's the best move at this point. Uh, Spectre was not as impressive as everyone hoped it would be. Yeah. And Daniel Craig is clearly tired of playing James Bond. And so I, I just feel like we just need, like, maybe waiting a little bit. We talked about this before, that, yeah. like, we James Bond kind of needs to just take a break, you know, sit a couple plays out, and then bring him back with, you know, a new actor in the role. So how long, if they did decide to do that, if they were like, okay, let's, Daniel Craig says no. Um, it it either goes to it stays with Sony or or it moves to maybe I don't know Warner Brothers. I know they previously expressed expressed interest in it. I don't think it would go Disney way. I think it'd be more likely to go to a, a Warner Brothers. Yeah. Um. So let's say Daniel Craig says no. Studio can't be relevant. 
what should they do? How long should they leave it to rest? I feel like the least you can wait is probably five years. Otherwise, it's just going to feel like another James Bond sequel and there's not enough time for people to, like, move on from, from Daniel Craig's Bond. Um, but it would be it would be interesting to see if they just waited a longer time so that the return of James Bond feels like, you know, it's actually a comeback of sorts. Uh, that's that's you know, it took uh, how long was it between the last Pierce Brosnan movie and Casino Royale? It was I think it was more. It was more than five years, yeah. I think. Yeah. And, th- and that felt like uh, that was the right amount of time. And the bigger thing with that was I think everyone was pretty well done with Pierce Brosnan's James Bond by the time Die Another Day came out. So. Casino Royale coming back and being this sort of more grounded, you know, realistic mm. take on James Bond, it was it was refreshing. So as long as they bring it back and it feels different, you know, then I think that that's the, that's the best approach. So uh, this has been discussed previously, but do you think when you're talking about looking at uh, perhaps giving the, the whole franchise a bit of a redo, do you think we should go back more towards the cheeky Bond? I'm not saying let's go full misogynist. Yeah. But I think because that's completely outdated, and I think the days of the Roger Moore and stuff like that. But should it be? I mean, there are elements of comedy and levity to Daniel Craig. But should we go back towards, you know, having more fun with it? I really don't know. It's it's tough to tell because some of the more, you know, like the, the brief moments of humor in Daniel Craig's uh, Bond franchise have been amusing. It's been funny. But I feel like nowadays it's hard to go back of ha- uh, having... A, a serious, you know, secret agent hero who is also joking around, mm. making all these puns and that kind of thing. It's it's very difficult to mash those up. And I think that the old Bond, it was a unique time, you know, in the 60s and 70s when that, that style was kind of like, everyone was like, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. But I think as humor has evolved and how humor and action blend together, like, it's, it doesn't work very well anymore. You have to have a certain style of movie for mm. that to really actually come together. And obviously, Mendez has now moved on to different yeah. projects. He's already looking at doing theater, and he's you now working on the James and the Giant Peach live action, which is yeah. going to take him out of action, really. I mean, I don't know how far he is with that project, but, you know, three years right. would be reasonable. So he's obviously not looking to take this on. He didn't really seem to want to do Spectre. Right. They kind of, whatever the deal was done, they managed to get him back, but it just didn't feel like perhaps. For me, Spectre, I mean, I, I love the James Bond franchise. Obviously, you know, being from the UK, it's kind of like bread and butter and, yeah. I don't know, sarcasm and accidental racism. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just, it just kind of got to the point where it felt for me with Spectre that aside from the fact that there were many things wrong with the movie, it felt like Sam Mendes didn't really want to be making the movie and Daniel Craig really didn't want to be in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. It felt like they were both done with it and just kind of going through the motions. Yeah, it, it for me the whole thing just didn't sit. So I think I think you're right. I think they do need to rest it for a while. I think they do need to you know you know relook at the franchise. But it's the marketplace is very crowded now absolutely. with that kind of thing. We've got Bourne, we've got Mission Impossible, we've got James Bond, we've got some other you know we've got Jack Reacher who I think I liked the first Jack Reacher movie I do too. I'm genuinely excited about it. I've seen some of it yeah I haven't seen all of it but I'm I'm very excited to, to look at that um I'm I just it's a crowded market where James Bond previously existed and I know he does do something unique it's just there's a lot of Bond-esque things out there now definitely if, if anything 
one of the interesting things, especially with how great television is right now, mm. I, I would be interested to see maybe a James Bond television series go somewhere like Netflix or Amazon or Hulu, you know, mm. some, someone that has the budget to do a movie like that. Uh, I think. Well, we're uh, seeing Jack Ryan now. Yeah, Jack Ryan's at Amazon now. Yeah. And John Krasinski even recently said that, like, they were going to try and do it with a movie sized budget. And so yeah. if, they can, if they can do stuff like that for a TV series, why not try a James Bond TV series so that way you can have these serial adventures and, you know, keep the character around and change up, you know, the medium a little bit? Well, we've also got, obviously, you know, it's slightly different, but it's kind of a similar, similar sphere um, uh, Vin Diesel and the new Triple um, X right. movie. Um, I mean, obviously, that's kind of, you know, it's a bit more gritty, a bit more, you know, kind of silly, silly than, than the Bond movies. But, you know, still, that's coming through. I'm surprised to see that franchise coming back. But word out of Paramount is that it's actually a, a good movie. Um, but then again, they made Ben-Hur. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the film's uh, the film that nobody wanted to see, even the people in Ben-Hur. Um, OK, we're going to take some calls in a second. That number again is 424-253-0504. Um, touched on this last week we'll move on to dc now because obviously there's always a lot to talk about um around dc um ben affleck teased recently uh deadstroke uh there was talk just a week ago um of joe manganiello uh possibly filling the role he's now being confirmed as filling that yeah um something we got asked on the show um a, a couple of weeks ago was about the dc reset on where this is is going to go. Do they need to reposition? Now, you read a really interesting article on this this week. Where did you see that, that published? Uh, Wall Street Journal had a thing where they talked to Jeff Johns, mm. uh, you know, who's the new DC Movies president, about yeah. how they were sort of dealing with the fallout from Batman v Superman uh, and moving forward through Justice League and that kind of thing. And there's a lot of talk, obviously, about moving away from this sort of grim, dark tone that DC movies have had ever since Man of Steel started. You know, it's a very sort of droll, dreary kind of superhero universe. Mm -hmm. And even though you can take that approach, a gritty approach to superheroes, as Christopher Nolan has proven, it just feels like everything has been a little too dark and gloomy in the DC universe. And a lot of people have blamed Zack Snyder for that. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if he is entirely to blame. But there has been a lot of uh, finger pointing and the discussion seems to be with Justice League, they're kind of moving away from that tone and they're being a little bit more fun and light. And we, we've seen that in the Comic-Con sizzle reel, you know, yeah. introducing Ezra Miller as the Flash. He's definitely bringing a lighter tone to it. There's a lot of humor there. And Wonder Woman as well. Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing, you know, that levity in there. Yeah. And I think that uh, one of the things that he said is that not every DC movie has to be dark or anything like that. Like, they'll all have their own sort of style. And so I hope that that's true and that's not just them trying to do, you know, uh, you know damage control and that, that kind of thing. The risk also is the fact that if they move too much away from being dark, and, you know, dark does work. I mean, look at the box office for Nolan, and obviously look at the box office for things like it's not as strong, but it's not a million miles off for Batman versus Superman right. and Suicide Squad. Dark does still sell. For sure. And if they move too far away from that, then they get too close, potentially, to Avengers right. and Marvel, yeah. which themselves are looking at... You know, getting sometimes they go a little bit darker. I mean, right. let's talk about Thor. I mean, the, the the most recent Thor movie was was quite dark for a Marvel movie, and obviously you're going to Australia on Sunday to um, to the set of uh, Ragnarok, right? Um, so you know, Marvel's not afraid to go dark, and they manage to make it work okay. So I think if we, I mean, I think an element is Zack Snyder. Yeah, I think, but. With Marvel, I think they've been going for long enough now that they mm. have the freedom to sort of dabble in that darkness because there's there's already 
faith that fans have in the franchise. And DC is still kind of trying to prove to fans that they know what they're doing and the direction that they're going. There's, mm. you know, they've only done uh, three movies now in this universe, and the reaction to them hasn't been completely favorable like they were with most of the Marvel movies. So yeah. there, I think a, a lot of it just comes with giving Marvel the benefit of the doubt, and DC hasn't necessarily earned that with their fans yet. What I think is really interesting, talking about the shift, is the fact that <clears throat> the, the Ben Affleck Batman that we saw in Batman versus Superman, and obviously we, we saw him pop up again in Suicide Squad. And then we, we look at the trailer for Justice League, and the the Batman Bruce Wayne that we see in the Batman movies is darker, more serious. Yeah. But there does appear to be kind of like a, a cheekiness to him Definitely. in the Justice League. So I think you can move those dark characters between the lighter and the darker. They don't just have to be dark or just have to be light. Right. There has to be that, that kind of grey area. Yeah. I guess it is grey, quite literally. Um, now, obviously, we're talking about Batman versus Superman. We're talking about Suicide Squad. Um, summer season is officially over this year um we've discussed many times the the movies that we liked the movies that we didn't like you know what we think should have done better and what shouldn't are there any movies just sort of very briefly from the summer that you think should have got more attention but didn't should have got more of an audience or people should go back and revisit because for me there are a lot of movies in there that just got lost this year definitely yeah summer has become so crowded that i i wish studios would kind of go back to just releasing bigger movies at any time because if, if you have a good enough movie that's interesting enough people will see it no matter when you know it's it's put on the release calendar and so summer there's a lot of movies that definitely went by the wayside one of the big ones for me that i absolutely love i hope people discover it on home video uh pop star never stop never stopping yeah uh, it's had a conversation about that last night yeah it's just it's it is hilarious it is like like one of my favorite comedies of the year probably like maybe ever it's just brilliant it's a fantastic mockumentary it's in the same vein of this is spinal tap and at the box office in the u.s it didn't even break 10 million mm. the movie deserves to be seen by by so many people and i think that it getting released this summer among all these blockbusters, sequels, reboots, this kind of thing, it just got lost in the shuffle. That's And that's a movie that should have been either saved uh, for the fall or released earlier in the spring and yeah. just got completely overshadowed. I mean, I I, I actually had the, the pleasure. I'm a, a big fan of the work of, of Andy Samberg. Yeah. Um, uh, I, you know, I love Hot Rod. I love his stuff with Saturday Night Live. I love Lonely Island. Um, and I got and I finished the interview that I did for, for Storks and... Um, I just said to him, it's an absolute fucking travesty that that film didn't get seen by more people Absolutely. this year. I mean, a lot of people were complaining about they're not being, you know, very funny movies and stuff like that. And th they are out there. Yeah. You just have to seek them out. You just got to make the effort. This is the summer, especially, I think that some of the best movies were movies that you have to go out of your way to see. Um, Hunt for the Wilder People is another one. Like, I heard great things about yeah, that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an indie that's directed by Taika Waititi, who mm. is uh, currently directing Thor Ragnarok. Yep. Um, and it's just this wonderful New Zealand set comedy, uh, coming of age, a uh, little bit of action adventure. And it's just, if you go see it, like you'll you'll love it. Like there's there's no question. It's it's funny, and Sam Neill is great as the sort of like it's it's like a New Zealand version of Up. And where Sam Neill is like this grumpy old man who is like stuck in the woods with this young boy who is kind of wants to be a punk, but he's also this adorable pudgy little kid. Um, and it's just it's it's hilarious and touching. It's it's a phenomenal movie. Um, uh, I love The Shallows. 
Shallows is good. Another film I gave a very strong review to this year. Um, took quite a bit of shit on it, actually, from IGN, um, from people who <laughs> mostly hadn't seen the movie. Um, and uh, that, for me, was one of the films that really should have... It, was, it wasn't a huge release. It was a large release. Yeah. But it just... It didn't get... It did okay, right. but it didn't get the bums on seats that it really deserved. And again, I think it was around the time that um, Independence Day Resurgence was yeah. out. And even though that was that didn't do brilliant box office, I was literally seeing people queuing to buy tickets for that. Right. And they're not queuing to the shallows. I wanted to go and physically move them <laughs> from one queue to another and go, that sucks balls. <laughs> this film rocks a bag of dicks. Seriously, you need... You need to go and see this movie. Don't go and see. I'm that glad one. that you keep your when you when you tell balls people and, balls, balls and dicks, and dicks yeah. always keep them separate. Um, but yeah, it's just you know these films are out there, and then you know people they are, I'll torrent it or I'll wait for it comes on home entertainment, uh, and I can stream it. And it's like this is why these films don't get made by studios yeah. as much as they should do, because even though they're small budget, they do need to make a, a you know a decent amount of money back. To, to to you know for them the studio to keep investing in these smaller movies absolutely um i you know th- those probably were the films for, for me this summer that i think people should really you know have made more effort to to go and see i mean because like we discussed you know suicide squad films like that of that genre and not to pick on that one specifically but some of these big studio movies they don't necessarily need your money right as much as these smaller movies do so Maybe we should support those more and then, you know, moan less about why box offices yeah. are not, you know, it's really, movies are not as good. I will say it is really tough, though, because I, I, I totally, like, discourage my friends from pirating, downloading movies. Yeah. And it's it's a double-edged sword because, like, while movie studios won't put these movies in, you know, wider release because it costs money and they don't think people will go see them. And then people aren't seeing them because they're not near them. Mm. And so they feel like they have to torrent them in order to see them. And so, like... There has to be a middle ground somewhere. And if anything, I feel like streaming will help get that gap. You know, we're getting a lot more movies that are like going straight to Netflix or Hulu and that kind of thing. And so I feel like we might get to a point where the distribution model will change more. And these smaller films will like more frequently go to straight to streaming. And so that way they can find an audience faster. Yeah. And, you know, I think it was uh, Spielberg a while back talked about how like the there was going to be a big change coming soon where we were it was going to be like Broadway where we would still pay like more money to go see the bigger movies in theaters. And then all the little movies would start coming out in different different ways and would get even smaller releases than they do now if you really yeah. wanted to see them. I mean, I think, the, you know, the VOD model is really interesting. And I think obviously we're seeing, you know, some of the smaller movies doing doing that coming out. But I think there are certain large studio movies that would benefit from that, I think yeah. if Don't Stop, Never Stopping uh, had had a theatrical release and perhaps tied in then with a, uh, you know, a, a streaming release as well. Right. Probably, I mean, obviously, you know, if you get your friends around, you know, you pay one ticket admission, basically $15, uh, you know, and then you've got three people that watch it. But at least it's not four people that are then watching it illegally streaming. Right. It. You've got one ticket out of that four exactly. that's going in your pocket. So that that might have helped. Um, but yeah, so that that was that was summer. Um I want to very briefly, we've got about 10 minutes left. I want to talk about um, uh, Halloween Horror Nights. Have you ever been to Halloween Horror Nights? I haven't been. I've always wanted to, but I've never been. Put it on your list of things to do. 
have a chat to the guys at Slash Film. <laughs> Tell them that you need to be in either Orlando or Los Angeles for Halloween this year. Because I, um, I was very lucky this week. I got to, obviously, every single year, if you don't know what Halloween Horror Nights is, Universal Studios here in, in Los Angeles and, and in Orlando, they basically create a series of mazes where you get to, basically, they recreate movies and things. And you get to go inside and experience it, kind of like scare mazes, which is absolutely fantastic. They do it to a Hollywood level. The level of detail on these things is terrifyingly good. Um, this year, among the films that they're doing, The Exorcist, they've got special scare areas uh, uh, linked to The Purge. Um, and they're doing American Horror Story. If you're a fan of that TV show, they've got three of those seasons amalgamated into one attraction. It's one of the longest they've done. And this year, they've got Krampus as well. Um, I got to have a tour behind the scenes this week with uh, with, with John Murdy, who creates all of these every year. Um, he works with directors like Eli Roth and people like that to create these mazes around their films. And he works very closely with, with film companies and people who own the properties to bring these to life. This year, I think, is going to be one of the greatest years that they have done it. The level of detail that they've gone... Let's use Krampus as a good example. That's yeah. another of the mazes they're doing this year. Um, a movie which you saw quite recently. Yeah, very recently. I, and I wish I would have seen it when it was in theaters because uh, it's just a fantastic throwback horror movie with all these great practical monsters and just the, the tone of it. It's got a Gremlins feel, but even more terrifying and brutal than Gremlins. Yeah. It's, just, it's great. And they've, they've recreated one of the mazes is Krampus. Now, I won't spoil too much about it, but a lot of the key scenes in the movie um, are there. And what they managed to do is take some of the things that they didn't manage to do in the movie and bring them to life, like the, the, the snowman. Um, the, the, the the aggressive snowman, they've managed to bring those to life. So, you, you know, they interact with the people going through yeah. the mazes. This year is going to be really quite spectacular. And Eli Roth has also done, um, they have a the tram that goes around and shows you behind the scenes. They've created a special one for Halloween Horror Nights that Eli Roth is overseeing. Uh, Eli's got a long-running relationship with the guys at Universal, you know, to do with Halloween Horror Nights. But this year is absolutely fantastic. I've been behind the scenes. I'm going to be writing a piece on it for Forbes um, in the next few days. I'm going to see the Halloween maze that they're doing um, next week around obviously the John Carpenter movie Halloween um, I saw a previous incarnation of that in Orlando a couple of years ago pooped my pants <laughs> genuinely terrifying um, so I'm very much looking forward to that and from what I've been told described by John um, for the, uh, the what they're doing for The Exorcist you're going to need to take spare underwear with you because <laughs> it sounds genuinely terrifying. And um, just walking around, even though the, the the characters weren't in in situ and the mazes weren't quite finished, um, I was literally walking around and my sphincter was twitching. <laughs> it, it is it is going to be beyond creepy. Um, so so that's something you should check out. What else caught your eye this week? Uh, news wise, gosh, let's see what what else. Um, you know, one of the things that I. I'm not excited for, but okay. I'm... It's happening anyway. Right. I'm interested to see how things go along with it. Is the Owen Wilson and Jackie Chan are coming back for Shanghai Dawn. Yeah. A sequel to Shanghai Noon and Shanghai Nights. Yeah. Uh, I just... I, I wonder now if we're getting to the point that we're far enough into uh, the 2000s that we're going to start this resurgence of 90s movies. That, I mean, that's early 2000s, but th that has the style of like Rush Hour and those kind of buddy action movies. Yeah. And so if we're starting to get to the point where we're going to start recycling those kinds of movies, because no one was really clamoring for, you know, another installment of the Shanghai Noon franchise. Uh, it was, it's been in the works since after Shanghai Nights came out. Like there's even, like Owen Wilson was even talking about it right after that sequel came out. And so 
part of me hopes that maybe a resurgence of Jackie Chan will happen because mm. I feel like his brand of action really always needs to be paid attention to. Well, he just he had a obviously he had a massive movie in China. You know, it's one of his biggest markets. But a movie he did with Johnny Knoxville, yeah, Skip Trace, yeah, which earned a stack of money. Did it really? Yeah, it earned a huge amount of money, and it's gone straight to streaming here. Well, it doesn't look great. <laughs> no, <laughs> true. It feels like a movie that they made in like 2001, and then someone lost it, mm. and then it was like, oh no, here it is. Let's let's put that out there. <laughs> oh, sorry, fell yeah. behind the back of the sofa. <laughs> um, Jackie Chan obviously is is you know it's very timely because he's going to get his his um, lifetime achievement right uh, um, Oscar this year. Um, Shanghai Noon as a season, though, the Shanghai movies, just, I would have been okay if they'd left that alone. Yeah. If anything, I feel like I would have preferred and been more uh, receptive of a Rush Hour mm. return. I mean, it, it, obviously, it's a more successful uh, franchise than the Shanghai Noon Chris Tucker would have appreciated that. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. It's... Uh, I'm I'm worried that like we're gonna start seeing all these '90s sort of tropes come back, and you know the the nostalgia will be there the way it has been for the '80s for a while now. Uh, thankfully, there has been a decent amount of like '80s nostalgia stuff, but uh, you know I just don't know if the '90s has the kind of stuff that we really need to start recycling just yet. And Jared Hess, you said uh, Napoleon Dynamite is going. Yeah, be... he he just was signed on as director. That was the the big update. And uh, <laughs> seeing the trailer for Masterminds, a movie that was supposed to come out last year and yeah. is now coming out a year later here, yeah, doesn't really inspire a lot of hope. No. So and in some other territories, it doesn't actually have a release date, right? Which I don't have. A huge amount of confidence <laughs> yeah. in that movie. I'll admit with you, I've seen the trailer a few times. I've yet to laugh. It's not... It, it, that also feels like a movie that has been just waiting around forever. The comedy feels very outdated in a, in a way. Like, a lot of slapstick. Uh, just And it's a shame because I love everybody involved. And I just, you know, I, I was hoping for something better having all those people together. I think the one moment in the trailer that I laugh is Jason Sudeikis as that yeah. hitman. He's, uh, like, he's talking to the kids. He's like... Is that the one I'm uh, you're supposed to kill? <laughs> you know, and like that that's about it though. So m- maybe the movie's better than it looks, but yeah. <laughs> if Sadakis has to go to mustache mode, yeah. <laughs> you know you're in trouble. Um so so Shanghai Noon, we don't know what they're gonna call it. I no, I think they they said it's called Shanghai Dawn. Oh. Yeah. I, I would call it Shanghai No. <laughs> no. I feel like the studio's not gonna wanna go for that. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. I'll still email them. I'll make the suggestion. They can decide whether or not. Um, so uh, something else I wanted to talk about very quickly. Um, the cast of, 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 of Greatest Show on Earth has been building over the last yeah. couple of months. We've seen, uh, obviously, Hugh Jackman join the cast, Zac Efron join the cast, Zendaya, who appears to be doing pretty much everything right now. Yeah, she's definitely building a lot of She's team. Yeah, I mean, I've not seen a lot of her work. I'm not sure that I've seen any of her work. Yeah. So she's just really become hot. So whoever yeah. her agent is, kudos. Yeah. Um, uh, and Rebecca Ferguson uh, looks like she's joining the cast. Yeah. Uh, which would be good. Obviously, you know, the next Mission Impossible movie, which she's supposed to be in as well, that's kind of... Up in the air right up now. Up in the air right now. So she needs to fill her time. So I like her. I think she's great. Yeah, I really, like, fell in love with her in the Mission Impossible yeah. franchise. She's, you know, uh, she's she's sexy, but she's also a great actress. You know, it's um, I, I'm really excited to see what else she does. She, she's obviously got, uh, you know, some skill behind her. And like Renner as well, exercising those dramatic muscles. Absolutely. You know, seeing something a little bit different from her, from just being hot and really cool at action. Which yeah. sounds a bit misogynistic, but that's kind of... 
how she's been. No, there, yeah, there are plenty of actresses who fill that fill that role, and they yeah. don't do a lot of dramatic work. And she can just go in and out of a right a variety of things. Uh, so, what else this week? We've got a couple of minutes left on the show. What else this week caught your attention? What else this week caught my attention? Um, this is I, I'm excited uh, because they confirmed this week that Paul Thomas Anderson and Daniel Day Lewis would be reuniting and making a movie that will be released in 2017 mm-hmm. for an awards qualifying release. Unfortunately. Uh, we don't know what it's called yet, and the only hint that we have at what it's about is that it's supposed to be set in the fashion world in 1950s London. So that's pretty much all we have to go on. There was, um, I think, Vulture had a, like they did like a, a deep research thing because at the time it was understood that it was going to take place in the fashion world of New York in yeah. the 1950s, and they like did this whole research thing of who it might be about based on like P.T. Anderson's previous work and like what Daniel Day-Lewis likes to do with his roles. And they pinpointed it to this fashion designer, Charles James, who is actually works out of Europe and like designs these like really elaborate gowns for a lot, a lot of royalty, I believe. But since it's not New York anymore and it's London, I wonder if that changes their guess. But they did also indicate that a lot of New York fashion world around that time w- did have designers that were from Europe Yep. working in new york so it could we could just maybe see a balance of both and it could that could be accurate but otherwise the, the you know nobody knows what this movie is going to be about i just love him as a director absolutely um i mean even one if of my I, favorites yeah i mean even if i don't necessarily love all his movies again he's someone that i can just watch their work and go must work yeah you sir are a good director exactly yeah. Mag- magnolia is one of my favorites uh punch beautiful punch drunk love yeah. is easily the best thing adam sandler has ever done uh, yeah well Yes, uh, and then <laughs> he also did that movie with Don Cheadle that was set after nine eleven. Oh, Rain Over Me. Yeah, I like Rain Over Me, but it's. I think that the the difference between that and Punch Drunk Love is it's still pretty a pretty big gap for yeah, me. Yeah, it's certainly not Little Nicky. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that even Adam Sanders like going. Have we got anything else we can watch? It's not Little Nicky. Uh, anything else that caught your eye this week? Um, just before we wrap up. No, I mean. Uh, that's i think that's pretty much it i mean like the we could talk about the the heat event that was something that yeah was... i want yeah very good good reminded me on that actually um the heat event obviously a lot of the the, the cast yeah. director turned up um and, and the whole idea was basically to, obviously to talk about the movie but to show it in this new 4k yeah um now with the decline of home entertainment um a lot of people i actually made the comment to a well-known actor in the industry the other day about watching dvds and they kind of took the piss out of me <laughs> because i still have i like to hold a hard format no i agree i'm i'm right there with and you and i like to have collector's editions i'm not the guy that goes out and buys all the criterion stuff right but i do like to have certain movies not the chipmunks movies <laughs> i like to have a hard copy and yep. keep it on my shelf i do and they kind of mocked me and I still own a nice TV, a 4K TV. Me too. But I don't think, and we discussed my use of the phrase normal people, so people outside of the industry who aren't hardcore film fans, right. don't tend to have Blu-ray and DVD players and want a TV to watch Netflix and streaming, yeah. but not necessarily to go out and buy the 4K of heat. Right. So is it worth it? And do you think people will actually bother? Or is it going to be purely for people like yourself, myself, Jeff, and other people watching the show and listening to the show who are just a bit anal about this stuff? I mean, no matter what, like, technology with home video is going to keep improving. Yeah. And so even if people aren't buying the physical Blu-ray or, you know, Blu-ray players or have TVs that have 4K anymore, uh, that 4K version of the movie could eventually be what is used for a digital download or streaming because you know the the amount of data that we can hold on our devices is only going to increase and so a 4k 
file download isn't going to take up as much space, you know, a few years from now as it does today. Yeah. And so even if people aren't going to go out of their way to buy a 4K Blu release, eventually that will be the standard at which you would buy heat, you know, from a digital download service. So no matter what, I think it's it's good to have it. And the the remastered version of the movie they showed, it's it's gorgeous. Like they they really did a great job with it. The sound in the Academy Headquarters Theater was incredible, especially for that movie. I mean, the the gunfight alone, mm. the echoes of how it happened in the city, and just it's it was an amazing like screening to be a part of. I was so excited. But I I I'm, I would love to buy the 4K Blu-ray when it comes out. And it was funny when they were talking about it. Um, the cinematographer Dante Spinati, mm. he went out of his way to like he's like I know this is going to be provocative. He was like, but the only way we were able to make this look so beautiful is because of digital, you know, to bring out the colors. And he kind of directed it at Christopher Nolan. And Nolan he goes, well, he goes, yes, he goes, but they also did create a lovely brand new print of the movie as well. And then like uh, Spinati said something, and then he said to Chris Nolan, he's like, come out of the cave. And Christopher Nolan just. <laughs> Said, I'm going to respectfully ignore that and just like continued. And so it was, it was a funny little like tip about digital versus film. You see, I can I can get that because luckily about a block from where where I live here in LA is uh, Tarantino's uh, theater, the, the New Beverly. Beverly. And as much as I love crystal clear images, and you know you can hear a pin drop levels of sound, just absolute precision. I do love going to watch. 35 mil projections definitely with crackly images and you know the little black spots and stuff that come around and i still get them i saw goonies there recently i yeah. got a massive kick out of seeing that so yeah. it's a weird place where it's beautiful and wonderful to see these absolutely top of the line pristine versions of these films the way that the director absolutely imagined that you would see it naturally with your perfect eyes <laughs> And then to see it with shit all over it and right. a bit of a warbly soundtrack. Yeah. And go like, that's awesome. But that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, it's it's two different experiences. Like, uh, I kind of had the same experience. I, w- I was in New York one time, and they just happened to have Jurassic Park playing at midnight at the IFC Center. Yeah. And so I went, and it was it's it was a you know a print, and it was an older one. You could tell because there's scratches and, and that kind of thing. But it kind of just takes you back to that time you were in the theater when you first saw it. So it's, it's, it's two different kinds of experiences. When you're at home, you want the best quality possible. Sometimes when you go to the theater, when you're seeing a, a classic movie that you've already seen before, you kind of want to just feel like... You you know, you went back in time. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm I'm very, very interested in, in seeing the 4K. I say restoration, but it's not really a restoration. Um, but Heat is just one of the greatest films of all time. And it, oh, yeah. It holds up. And do you know what really makes me sad is when I watch a movie like that that is how many years old now? 20? Uh, 21 21. This year, yeah. And you look at that and you're like, oh, that's an amazing film. It's 21 years ago. And then you look at some of the shit that is put out yeah. in theatres these days. I actually had this thought, it suddenly occurred to me watching Sully the other day, that as much as I loved Sully, I probably wouldn't buy it on Blu-ray because it won't be the same experience watching it on, even on a big TV at home. It's yeah. not going to be the same experience as watching it on an IMAX or even a big big theatre screen. There just aren't that many films this year that I've seen in the theatre that I would pay to see, but also want to own to watch again. That's fair. And but there are lots. I'm going and I'm buying more Blu-rays from the 70s, the 80s, right. even some of the 90s movies, you know, like Heat. And I'm just like, I don't. It's not that kind of movie out there. No, absolutely, that I, works with that. That's exactly how I felt watching Heat. And it's it, what even was more ironic about it was that this was an Academy screening, and Heat is a movie that didn't get 
any Oscar nominations Awkward. whatsoever. So it's like, we love this movie and we're new to special screening and uh, we didn't nominate it for a single thing. Did anybody kind of scratch off the name of one of the Oscars and go like, yeah, we're going to take it off that Hey, Chris, you dropped your Oscar. <laughs> we meant to give it to you 21 years ago, but we forgot. Yeah, exactly. So it's just, um, it's a movie that yeah totally holds up. I even think in rewatching, I'm somebody who loves The Departed. Yeah. And in rewatching Heat, I, I felt like I... I think I like Heat more than The Departed. Actually, I think it's just it's much better executed. There's a lot more subtlety about it, and because mm-hmm. I'm a huge Scorsese fan, I'll see any movie he puts out. But something about just just seeing Heat in that, like just updated and in theaters again, it really like made me realize how much I love it. Um, Dino just made finally a really good point in the chat. Uh, you have to remember that it took Michael Mann 20 years to make Heat. He made it twice before, then he kept working on it. Then they gave him 60 million dollars and 100 days to shoot it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what? That's a really good point, Dean. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. All we have to do is give um, Zack Snyder about three or four chances to remake all his movies. <laughs> uh, maybe give him a little less money, and then I think we'll be about there. <laughs> um, Ethan, it's been great having you on the show this week. Yeah, we, it was we've awesome. We've tried yeah. to get you on a number of times. Yeah. So thank you very much for doing it. Great to have you in town. Uh, what's planned for you for the next week? Uh, gosh, I mean, uh, I'll be going to Australia soon, so that'll be a fun little trip. And then, yeah, otherwise, that's my, my week's kind of slowing down. So just keeping up with the news and ho- I have a lot of movies to catch up on because I, I haven't seen Sully yet and there's plenty I haven't seen so I'll probably spend like a day catching up on movies. Yeah, do not watch Sully on a plane. I'm assuming they won't show it on a plane. I feel like that would be a bad movie yeah, to watch on a plane. Been, hey, <laughs> double bill of that and flight. <laughs> Anything else? Towering Inferno. Um, well, I know you'll be really jealous of this. I'm going to see Bridget Jones's baby next week. Oh my goodness. I know. that I've been waiting for so long. I know you have. Yeah. I, I knew it would upset you. That's why I've told you because that's the kind of guy I Now I'm going to leave with all this jealousy, and I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> I'll film it on my phone. It'll be fine. I won't. Universal, I will not be doing that. Uh, Ethan, where can we find you online? Uh, slashfilm.com. I write there pretty much every day, and you can find me on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. Uh, my name is Simon Thompson. Uh, Jeff is going to be back next week. You can find me on social media at showbizsimon on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook. This is Simon Thompson. Thank you for watching this week. Don't forget, tell your friends, tweet, like, subscribe, do anything you want. Send us money. Uh, no, don't send us money. That's actually kind of illegal. <laughs> um, but do, do the rest of the stuff because that'll be all good. And we'll be back next Friday. Thank you very much for watching and have a great movie week. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. Views expressed herein are those of the hosts only, and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.